Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel. Uh, it is 2020, we are still in January, and we are going to be doing another podcast with my good friend Mr. Chaz McCrander. Chaz, how are you today, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you, Travis? I am doing great, getting geared up and ready for SHOT Show. Uh, super excited for that. Are you going to be attending SHOT Show this year? I don't think I'm going to be able to. Okay. I got a uh, just a, a ton of stuff going on right now, obviously, match prep and, you know, kids wrestling and all that junk going on. So oh, yeah. Pre- pretty busy few months here coming up. Yep. No, I, I totally get that for sure. So for everyone out there that's new to the show or new to the sport, uh, Chaz McCrander uh, is a match director for the National Rifle League. I believe this is your going on your third year. Um, he is doing the Bighorn Steel Classic out there in eastern Nebraska, uh, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but uh, why don't you give our listeners a quick background on, on who you are and how you kind of got involved in the sport. Oh, boy. Okay, so, um, boy, that's a great question. I guess I probably got into the sport through hunting, so... Uh, my dad, he was a he was a marine, and you know, pretty pretty good shot. And I, you know, I remember like the very first uh, very first time shooting a gun. It was actually a pellet gun in the basement that he got me for Christmas. And uh, you know, he's going through the respiratory cycles, and you know, trigger finger placement on on the trigger, and you know, making me shoot with both both eyes open and all that. And I'm right. like seven, you know, so uh, had well, a pretty I- good. I, yeah. I don't want to cut off your story, but I, I got to give you a quick visual here. You said your dad, a pellet gun, and the basement. And the first thing that came to mind was, you're going to shoot your eye out. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. bro. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's uh, that's good stuff. Well, and it's funny. Like, everybody, all the other kids, they got to shoot BBs out of their pellet guns. But my dad wouldn't let me for that reason, you know. <laughs> right. It made me shoot didn't think the lead pellets would would quite ricochet like the bb gun but right. yeah so he gave me a pretty solid foundation in shooting and we lived on a feed lot and so a 22 rifle was kind of my babysitter growing up you know he'd sit me out on this feed bunk and just have me you know shoot sparrows off of the top of this corn crib that was out there and uh just kind of been addicted to i don't know uh addicted to shooting or just fascinated with this idea that you can, that you can send a tiny little projectile really fast a long way and actually put that thing where you want. So just always been fascinated with that. So fast forward, um, I'm an adult and I'm hunting and, you know, just kind of got into the long range stuff as a way to avoid (laughs) all the work associated with becoming an actual hunter and getting closer to the animals. (laughs) You know, I thought it'd be a, be a lot more fun to become a better shooter. So I started doing that, you know, got a, uh, bullet drop compensated scope and thought I was just an absolute ninja cause I could hit a 12 inch plate, you know, three out of five times at 400 yards. And it just kind of progressed from there. Um, had this guy show up at my church one Sunday and uh, I could tell right away he was a Marine. And like I said, my dad was a Marine. So I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for him. And I introduced myself to the guy and that was, um, that was Trey Ardiz who, uh, was still in the Marine Corps working at Stratcom at the time. 
and uh, ended up going to work for Magpul, him and Dwayne Liptak, who okay. I guess I can't really, can't remember what Dwayne's title is, but he's pretty high up there in, in Magpul. So kind of had some some <laughs> cheap training made available to me uh, through them and, you know, met Kalen and, you know, I, I, I told Kalen Wojcik when I met him or, well, I guess since I've met him that every long shot I ever made was luck until, I, you know, before I met him and just kind of learned, learned a lot of good stuff and got addicted to it, jumped into a competition dynamics match and uh, did okay at my first one of those and I was just hooked. So, nice. um, you know, I, I became a match director kind of out of... Um, <laughs> I was getting tired of driving, you know, eight to 13 hours to these matches by myself. And I didn't Come really on, have, man. that's not that far, bro. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I suppose when you live in California, everything is far, especially when you got to go to every one of them. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I just wanted to kind of grow the sport in the local area. You know, we're pretty, um, the, the Omaha area, they have a very very strong three gun and USPSA presence, yes. but just not a not a whole lot of people in the uh, practical precision sport. So I thought I'll start hosting some local matches and maybe get some get some local interest. And you know through that I've I've met guys like Jared Horsky, um, yep. who is actually helped me put on put on the match this year. Nice. Um, and started traveling with him. So it's it's kind of uh, accomplished what what I wanted it to uh what I wanted to do with it I guess um but it you know slowly but surely we're getting some more more local guys uh involved in the sport for sure that's so, awesome that's yeah awesome. that now, that's kind of how I be, got to got to be a match director I suppose so you started doing the one day matches and then 3 years ago you started doing the two day matches correct Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So, I, yeah, I was doing just the one-day matches. Since we don't really have a club or a permanent range, I don't have, you know, like I said, there's not a whole lot of people in the area that even participate in the sport. So I don't have just a, a huge group of workers to pull from to put something like that on. And so it was, you know, kind of a fairly big undertaking to do it on my own and oh, I uh, had future – um, the future plans of doing a two day match, but I didn't think I was probably to that point yet. And then, then I want to, I can't remember if it was you or, or, or Tyler that called me, but somebody called me out of the blue had got my name from Justin Watts out of, out of Oklahoma and asked me if I, if I thought I could put on a two day match and I lied and said, yep. <laughs> um, every great relationship starts. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You, you, you meet that perfect girl. Yes, I'm intelligent. I have a stable job, and I'm going to make us very happy. <laughs> You're yeah. 20 years old. You have no idea. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> no, that that's awesome. Um, I mean, I, I remember the, our first match together uh, a couple of years ago. Um, last year's match really, obviously, stands out just because of the fact um, you designed a. a, a what I would, th you know, what I would say, a really awesome or badass course of fire, um, and then the weather gods just came in and, and, you know, pulled a number on all of us. It was it was pretty crazy with snow and rain and mud and just ice and everything. Um, yeah. Last year was was 
last year was a challenge to shoot even if it was designed to be easy, the easiest course of fire, it would have still been a challenge, but it wasn't. It was designed to be a challenge and the weather made it even harder. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty interesting, you know, so typically that, well, I suppose the reason that I chose March for a match, um, we're, we're using agricultural land or, or row crop land to put on the match, you know, so most of the year where our targets are sitting, there's either soybeans planted or, or corn. And so we have some restrictions with that. It has to be right. between, you know, October to November, whenever they harvest and before May when they start planting. And so what I didn't want to do is I was, I was really hoping to avoid the rain. So I didn't want to creep into April and have a situation to where, yep, we've got the targets out in the field, but now we can't get them out because it's too muddy and, right. you know, hold up the planting of the crops. And, and uh, you know, historically, March is pretty decent in Nebraska. I mean, it, it can get really cold. Um, we, we always get snow at least once in March, but it usually doesn't hang out too long. You know, it's one of those deals where you'll get a – get a snowstorm three inches of snow rolls in and it's it's completely melted off within 36 hours oh, yeah. um, so i thought year. march yeah i thought march would be a little bit more predictable but first week of march we still had eight inches of snow on the ground and then we got another six three days before the match and i, I was getting pretty nervous there for a little bit well it, it's crazy because you know, I had never had the opportunity to shoot or be a part of a match in the snow. And I know a lot of people have, but, you know, I'm Southern California, so I've never had that opportunity. And I was actually, you know, there's a part of me when we arrived and I saw the snow everywhere, I was like, this is going to be awesome. I wish I was competing. But watching the different competitors go through, it was not only a tremendous test of of skill but also gear yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah so so the week leading up to the match it was like all right well i guess we're gonna have snow at this point let's just hope it stays cold you know because the last thing you want is is a warm day and all that snow melting and then you know now you have the the wet it, at least when the snow's frozen you're dry you know right and that's a little bit easier to deal with, and it, yeah, Mother Nature just did not want to, uh, did not want to play ball with us. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was it like, forty degrees or something like that on day one? It was just kind of a, a a perfect storm of of bad weather, but it did turn out to be fairly memorable, I guess. <laughs> I, I honestly, I I mean, with the weather conditions and the course of fire and the whole nine yards. I, we got awesome pictures and video just because of the, you know, the, na the natural surroundings and everything. Um, but I thought it was, I, I think, well, I think, I think it was one of the most memorable matches of last season for me. Just because <laughs> it was tough, it was challenging, and then it was compounded by the weather. But everybody that was out there uh, was having a great time. Yeah, you know, everybody kept a pretty good attitude about it, which which is usually the toughest part because it's it's really easy, you know, when your socks are wet by nine o'clock in the morning if you don't have the right footwear to go. Yeah, this is a miserable day. But, right. Uh, yeah, for the most part, I think everybody everybody came pretty prepared for it, uh, as far as gear wise, and you know, for the most part, spirits were pretty up. 
They, they were, and, and that's a testament to our community because you're absolutely right. I mean, you get cold or, or wet and your attitude can go south right away, but everybody was having a good time. I mean, you know, it was, uh, I think it was just an awesome, awesome event. So I'm very excited to go, or not go, but come back this year. Um, I understand there's going to be a little bit of a change up with the ranges, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yep. So we're shooting on the same property. Uh, last year we did day one, basically shooting on the south side of the property facing north. And it was, it was more designed like a a field match there. And then on day two, we were shooting from the east side of the property towards the west. And that was kind of more set up like a more, I, I guess I don't know what you would call it. I guess generally people call those PRS type matches, you know, with just a lot of the man-made props and stuff yeah. like that. I don't, I don't know if it's, I, I guess, a uh, style match. Yeah. And so this year we're going to be shooting from the, we're going to do the South side of the property shooting North again, but then we're also going to do the North side of the property shooting South. So oh, wow. it'll be a, yeah, it's pretty neat. It's a it's an old rock quarry, so we're going to be kind of in the trees and on the rocks and stuff like that for for most of the match. And it it's yeah, it's going to be pretty much a, a field style match for for the duration of it for the entire thing. There'll be very very few man made props or obstacles awesome. that you'll have to deal with. Awesome. So you so said it should be fun. Rock quarry. So is that does that mean that there's going to be a lot of hiking around from stage to stage or is everything still going to be somewhat you know easily reachable yeah i think there's about a maybe a 400 400 to 500 yard walk from uh, stage one on day one to stage 10 on day one so it's still fairly close together but you know this is one that i would recommend people uh, bring some sturdy footwear with good ankle support because there will be a little bit of a little bit of up and down some some not long but but there will be some some steep inclines you'll have to go up and down to get to the shooting positions and things like that I was just while well, I'm sitting here staring at my <clears throat> in my backpack that I that I you know shoot matches out of and I'm kind of thinking about that, like, man, how would I, how would I load up my gear? What would I change if I were shooting this match with the pre-knowledge that I have? And, you know, I just kind of came to the realization that a lot heavier on the rifle if I just got rid of a lot of that stuff in my backpack that I haven't used in four years. Okay, so you know what? You know? That is a, a great transition or segue. Let's do that real quick because we talk a lot on this show about rifle setups and rifle gear, which... <laughs> you know, everybody wants to know about, but let's do a bag dump right now. Are you, are you cool with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we're not, obviously this is just an audio podcast. We're not doing video. So let's, let's go into your bag and start pulling out stuff and, you know, tell us what it is. And then let's discuss if it's something that you actually need or if it's something that you just kind of put there and forgot about it. Yeah, will do. Um, so as I open it up here, I guess the top flap, we've got a little Schmidt and Bender scope cleaning kit. Always important to have, especially if you're in bad weather. Yep. I have a barrel cool just to annoy, off the, rest, or annoy the rest of the squad. Yep. No, nothing wrong with that. Um, small, compact. And, yeah. 
a uh, anchor uh, remote battery or backup battery for my phone that's larger and heavier than my phone. <laughs> so that you could probably um, downsize, but it's a good idea to have a backup backup for all your selfies or or running your your apps on your phone <laughs> for ballistics. So it's a good idea to have a backup uh, battery power, but maybe not you know maybe not one so big. Right. Yeah, I, I could probably definitely get by with one a little bit smaller. Um, I do run all of my all of my dope off of off of my phone. Okay. So naturally, I have an extra iPhone in my backpack just in case something happens to my <laughs> normal phone. I've got backup dope on there. Um, it's always good to be redundant with stuff that you know you have to have. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Kestrel 4500 NV, which let me just say this was the top of the line Kestrel you could buy about six months before they started offering it with a ballistic calculator in it. <laughs> I did the same thing, bro. I, I did yeah. the same thing. <laughs> I, I think I paid $450 for that thing. And as soon as the one came out with applied ballistics, this was all of a sudden worth $150. Yeah. So uh, I did the same yeah. thing and then. You know, my my dumb ass went out and bought the forty seven hundred. So, yeah, I, I have both of them still. Yeah. So I got a uh, pair of gloves, a couple extra chamber flags, and an extra firing pin assembly for my rifle. All good things to have. Now, with your gloves, yeah. are you carrying like a shooting glove or like a mechanics glove, like mechanic brand glove or like a snow glove? What kind of gloves are you, do you typically carry? So I always keep a pair of mechanics gloves in my bag. Um, so they're, they probably don't get used a whole lot. They're just more or less in there. If, if you get to one of those matches like down in Oklahoma, where every time you touch the ground, you end up with four or five sandbers or cockaburs or things. Yeah. Yeah. Goat heads in there. So if I'm going to be in some stuff like that, I'll, I'll throw the, those gloves on. If it's a cold weather situation, I have a different pair of gloves that I use. Okay. Now with your mechanic gloves, do you go full fingertip or do you cut the tips, uh, tips off? Uh, on my firing hand, the thumb and forefinger has the tip cut off. You bet. Okay. I do the same thing. And then I, I usually sew them together so they don't fray, and then I, I light them to kind of clean up the, the edge. Yeah, that's a good idea. But that's a good idea. I was actually um, – I've got a different pair of gloves that I <laughs> that I use for, like, pistol training and stuff like that, like uh-huh. a uh, force-on-force class, and I had those out last week. And uh, I was just thinking, man, I need to get these out, and or I need to turn them inside out and sew the, sew the fingers back up because they're pretty split. Yeah. But – so then I have some rain gear. I have one of the um, oh, Sage Flats gear makes it, and I think it's like the five-second cover. And it just goes over your, your rifle scope and action, keep the rain out of it. Awesome. And then I Good gear. Ha- have another, another little bag that um, goes over my backpack, so just Smart. rain gear for my, for my shooting back, backpack. Do you carry rain oh, gear ahead. for yourself, like a rain jacket or pants for yourself? Um, most of the time, I do. Okay. I, there's there's some matches where I where I won't. Um, you know, obviously, like the the mile high shootout, they don't get a ton of precipitation <laughs> up up there. So, 
I thought, yeah, I can probably get rid of the the rain rain jacket and rain pants in the right. high desert here. So some places I I don't carry it. Like the heat stroke open in 2018, I didn't take my rain gear with me because I'm like, yeah, we're in the middle of Oklahoma. Look at this place; it hasn't seen rain in a hundred years, and uh, yeah, it rained for about a half hour on us. It wasn't bad, just just enough to be annoying, really. Yep. Yeah. I so always then I here in the truck. So. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely in the in the truck if it's not in my shooting bag. Yep. So, so I keep a bottle of Aleve in Smart. in my shooting bag. Uh, yeah, you know, you get in some groups and you know you just get those. Uh, I call them muzzle brake headaches, just from the concussion of everybody's rifle going off. Sometimes at the end of the day, I'll have a headache. So. Are, are you talking Keep that about stuff in there. The muzzle breaker or, or that competitor that just always talks all day about nothing. <laughs> well, it's it's usually no the same guy and same rifle, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I keep that in there. I also keep some visine in there um, just to kind of keep my eyes, I guess, hydrated. Yep. Uh, you know, my eyes get a little fatigued staring through the glass all day. You know, oh, if yeah. you've got a, a just a spotter. Yeah, I guess I don't know the science behind it, but well, you, there, there's your eyes get fatigued strange. staring through glass too much. So, and especially like um, for the first couple of years, I, I wear contacts or, or glasses, so you see me either way. But for the first couple of years, all of my competitions, I would always use contacts. And I kid you not, I was at Justin Watts' match, night match, and I was staring so hard through my scope in the middle of the night trying to find my target my contact popped out of my eye and I'm blind. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like negative, I'm negative 4.25 or 5.0 or whatever. So without a corrective lens, I can't see shit. And I had to have one of the competitors drive me down to my vehicle so I can get my spare glasses. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. You were really trying to, <laughs> trying to, Trying to focus, where yeah, I was. I couldn't see anything. I was like, "What?" And then all of a sudden, my contact popped out, and I had to go to my support side where I had, you know, a visible eye, and, and shoot the the course of fire, and it, it sucked. But having visine, especially if you have contacts or a something solution, if you have contacts, is good because it'll prevent it. It'll keep it, I guess, suctioned to your eye better. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I have extra batteries, one for my rangefinder, an extra set for my Kestrel, and an extra set of CR-123s for, like, my flashlight. Yep. Allen wrenches, torque wrenches, anything I need to basically remount my scope at a stage if I have to. <laughs> a field repair um, kit. Yeah. Two X, and I could probably take this out, but I've got two little Picatinny rail sections that I had in there for when I was running a KRG chassis, and I had a uh, that'd be a pick mount for my ball head for an old tripod that I don't even have anymore. So I could probably take those out. There you go. Yep. Finally, so losing weight here—that's good news. Absolutely. Um, then I have like a one of those. I guess it'd be the the military or yeah military field cleaning kit that you know crappy <laughs> crappy metal rods. I think it's like a four or five 
rod, and I've got a brush and some stuff in there. I've never used it for cleaning, but I have had to pull it out for some stuck cases from time to time, whether right. it was me or another competitor. So I have that in there, and yeah, I actually have used that once, so I'm definitely going to leave that thing in there. That's a good thing to have. I keep uh, a similar style setup in my bag as well. Yeah. Um, then two magazines everywhere I go. Do you both 10s or do you have a 10 and a 12 or a 5 and a 10 or how do you do that? Uh, 10 and a 12. Okay. Yep. Then I have another little bag that has my extra iPhone. I keep a compass in there. Again, something that I probably, probably why, don't why, use. Why do you but... need a compass? <laughs> Well, you just never know, I guess. It has a it has a signal mirror on it too, so in case um, you get lost at hundred so yards every once from while. else. <clears throat> What's that? In case you get lost on your stage a hundred yards from everybody else. Yeah. No, I think um I think originally why I put this thing in here was for, you know, kinda nailing down a good wind vector. You get those stages that are and I've probably only ever used it for that purpose once in the three years it's been riding around in my bag. But um, you kind of get the wind nailed down on which direction it's from, and then you just kind of keep track of the shooting direction. This this is stuff that I think people with kestrels, like the the, the good kestrels, probably just do. Right. Um, but I'll tell but you I'd, the secret. I keep track of it. Yes, sir. Your iPhone has a compass in it as well. It does, yeah. <laughs> so let's ditch the compass. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll take the we'll take the compass out of there. Um, then I have a, a set of like map pens and markers that I use on my little arm board. So I have extra yep. those. Always an extra pencil. Okay. Or two. So with your markers, do you, you use one color for everything, or are you one of those guys that have different colors for different things that you're tracking, like? I know some guys will use one color for their dope and then they'll use a different color for their wind so they don't get things mixed up or whatever. Do you do that or do you just use the same color for everything? No. So what I do is I, I generally write um, everything down in pencil on on a three by five note card and then I put it into my little my little dope caddy that goes on my arm. And I have a red marker that I can write on the outside of that if if something changes, you know, like, um, yeah, I'll I'll go through and do all my, not all of my dope, but a good portion of my dope the night before. And, you know, if we get to the stage and, or between the time that I get to the stage and the time we actually shoot, you know, sometimes in the morning you can get a, a five mile an hour jump in the wind over, over the course of 20 minutes from, you know, eight o'clock to eight 30. So. Uh, if I have to make any corrections to my dope, once it goes inside the armband, I just write everything on the outside of the outside of the clear plastic with a red marker, so it, nice. it pops pretty good. So, so I suppose I prefer red for that. Yeah, brighter, just so more I can, visible. Yeah, tell the difference between what I originally wrote down and in what I'm correcting it to. Uh, I carry a pump pillow with me everywhere. Nice. Rarely do I ever get to use the or rarely do I use the pump pillow and a uh, Armageddon gear full-size game changer. Okay. The OG or the new version? 
Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't think it's the OG OG, but it's definitely. I don't know. I've had it since probably early 2018. So wh- whatever, whatever yeah, so version they were running there. That's probably the. That's probably right when Armageddon Gear got him. I think so. It's probably yeah, the, the first yeah, gen I, Armageddon one. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely in that uh, in that time frame, I believe. Nice. And obviously ammo, and I always take. <laughs> if I start shooting them, if day one of a match, I carry a hundred and sixty rounds, okay. almost regardless of what they say the round count's going to be. So. Uh, just got this weird, <laughs> weird fear of running out of ammo for some reason and not being able to get back to the vehicle. So, I just it, I carry 160 rounds on day one, and then I carry whatever's left on day two. Okay. And uh, yeah, so that stuff. Sometimes I carry an extra bipod, but not always. With your ammo, are you carrying ammo in your reloading case, or do you put it into like an ammo novel, or or how do you transport your ammo? Yeah, I have the their forty round holders and they're fold up. They were made by Sage Flat Gear, Sage Flats Gear. Um, but yeah, they're I guess a would you call it a novel? Ammo yeah, novel? A, a ammo book. Yeah. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. Well, because I I mean I remember a couple of years ago people would just carry everything in like that big plastic. Um, you know, Tupperware type case, and it was yeah. so bulky and and you know took up a lot of space. And now, you know, with the the ammo books or novels or cases or you know uh, nylon cases, it just makes things easier. So, yeah, yeah. I think the first two day match I ever shot, I actually <clears throat> bought the. Uh, Bought like the the twenty round ammo boxes, you know, with the little styrofoam insert in them and everything, right. and carried it that way, and that ate up a bunch of room. So I did that for one match, and then I bought these the the little ammo books and been running that since. But yeah, the I I've seen the guys do the the plastic Tupperware thing, and as a matter of fact, there was a guy that was running the is it the Arc Mag the the shorter double stack 10 round mags and he was pulling his ammo out of that box well with it rattling around in that box the outside of the cases were kind of getting scuffed up because there's a little bit of play inside each one of the individual compartments for the rounds so his rounds were kind of kind of coming out not very smooth they were a little scuffed up plus the dirt and dust that ends up in that case right and so in that arc mag those cases need to roll against each other and the outside of the magazine and he was just just every other magazine he'd have to you know do a tap rack bang sequence on on the bottom of his on the bottom of his magazine to get his rounds to come up so uh that's so annoying yeah, I kind of decided that those Tupperware things are for stationary storage. <laughs> right. At that point. But, yeah. Yes, sir. So we were able to lose a little bit of weight in your bag, but for the most part, it seemed like 90% of what you had in there is actually gear that you need. Yeah, need or could need. I also keep an extra pair of socks in there. Don't know why. Just... In, in case my feet get wet, I guess. 
I don't know. <laughs> you probably don't need those. That's probably something you could leave in the truck. Yeah, I could probably leave an extra set of socks in the truck. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. hearing pro. Do you have uh, inner ear or do you wear like the Howard lights? What is what is your go-to? So my go-to, I have the sport ear, in-ear yep. electronic noise cancelers. So, so so that's what I run. Okay, so what is your, like, I don't know if, if you paid for them or you're sponsored or I, I have no idea, but what is your opinion about them? Well, so I'm a... A part-time pistol instructor as well, um, which is kind of how I justified buying them, you know, because they, they, they are pretty expensive, but they're a, you know, a, a tax write-off, so I could kind of justify it. I probably have a little bit more exposure than than most people just because of the, the frequency and, you know, running a class of 10 to 25 people on a firing line. Right. Um, I... Uh, I kind of looked at it like this. I needed something electronic to to wear to matches was was the big thing because I was getting by fine with the earmuffs on the range um, for the pistol stuff. Uh, my muffs, I didn't like them in the summertime because they made me really sweaty. Right. You know, just it, it's pretty hot wearing a pair of electronic earmuffs in the summertime. And I didn't like doing just the regular in-ear foamies because inevitably what would happen is somebody would say something to me and I wouldn't be able to hear them because I'm partially deaf and I've got hearing protection in. So I'd pull it out to hear what they're saying and then right then somebody would crack off around and my ears would start ringing. So I was I was creating damage and I kind of came to the you know realization that Either buy hearing aids now and wear them when I shoot, or you know, in ten years I'm going to be buying hearing aids and wearing them every day. So, right. at this at this point, I'm just trying to preserve what I have left for hearing. But it's it's to me, it's one of those topics that's super important, but nobody talks about because it's not quote unquote cool. Um, oh yeah, it's. But like I have sport ears as well. And I have the inner ear ones um, with the four different like levels or you know whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that they're great. Um, I went ahead and invested in them because I found the way that I shoot a rifle. Oftentimes, I'll I'll be in positions where my earmuff, my Howard lights, wouldn't fit properly. Like my they would push back on my head. And so yeah. I'd only have partial coverage. And, you know, when you're in the middle of a stage and you get partial coverage because of because you bumped your head or against whatever, um, you don't stop. That's you don't think about stopping. You're thinking about, you know, getting your shots off. And yeah. so there was a couple of stages where, you know, I would do that or, you know, I'd come off the line and I'd be like, you know, ears ringing and, and uh, you know, headache and. So I went ahead and, and invested in the Sport Ear. And I have the Sport Ear. 3M makes a, a, an inner ear uh, version as well. Um, I do have Howard lights. But when I compete, I really like an inner ear protection, whether it's Sport Ear, Howard Light, or any of the other brands that are good quality brands. But for anybody that's listening, 
to the show that is getting into the sport, you know, really think about it. You know, there's two things that you have to have, not have to have, but two things that that you can protect when you're at a match that are vital. Number one is your ears, you know, or, you know, one of the things is your ears. Because once you lose your hearing, it doesn't come back, right? And right. the second is your eyes. And a lot of people don't like to wear eye pro because, you know, the the theory is you spend three, four, five thousand dollars on a badass optic because it has the best glass in the world, whatever. And then nobody wants to put a cheap pair of sunglasses in between the two. <clears throat> and I right. get that. But if something happens, you know, where there, there's you know, a problem with the round and it explodes in the chamber and you get a fragment in your eye, is it really worth not wearing that eye protection? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's a, that's a great point. And as a matter of fact, I, you know, I kind of suffer from that as, as well or not suffer from it, but you know, I, I do the same thing. I rarely do. I wear glasses when I shoot what I will do. Um, I wear them when I practice for sure. When I'm, when I'm not being scored on it or, you know, when it, when it doesn't really matter, I don't wear them. And that's, that's where I shoot the most of my rounds anyways in, in practice. So I'm thinking, right. you know, maybe, maybe my exposure is, is going to be a little bit greater during the practice time. Plus all of my practice ammo, I load on a, on a progressive press. I run the Dylan 650. So there's, there's potential for lack of QC or a problem that that causes a causes a causes an accident where I end up with some hot gas or some metal fragments in my eyes. So I definitely started wearing my my eye protection anytime I practice. And then something else that I will do when I shoot, I'll I'll pull my sunglasses down and look over top of them into the scope. Right. So I've got a clear vision into the scope. But the, the line of sight from, like, the back of my bolt or the back of my action up to my eye, I still have a lens in between there. So you can kind of drop the glass down, look over it, and still have some still have some protection. I guess that's a little way to get around that. But, yeah, there was a guy at a match in South Dakota that has a glass eye from, from his gun exploding and bolt hitting him in the eye. Yeah. I mean, we... We were at a, uh, the New Mexico match, and somebody, I'm not going to say who it was, but somebody's rifle was having issues, and um, it, a round exploded in the chamber, and fragment sh- shot back, and luckily, uh, that person was wearing eyeglasses, uh, or sunglasses, and when they came back, and, and we were going through their rifle inside the, the trailer, uh, we looked at their glasses, and there were fragments right dead center in uh of the lens which means that if if they weren't wearing glasses you know that fragment would have went into their pupil and and that person could be blind Mm. you know and it's scary and i'm guilty of not wearing glasses too um but it's something that when i do compete i try to remember to have my glasses all the time and the technology in sunglasses is out there now where you know they're such good quality that there's really no argument. And a lot of times now, even I have prescription, uh, thick prescription shooting glasses that I'll wear instead of my contacts. Because like I told you, sometimes I concentrate too hard and they like to jump out of my eye. (laughs) Right. 
So no, I it, it's a yeah, it's definitely not worth losing your eyesight over, and I need to make a conscious effort to just shoot with glasses more moving forward. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to harp on anybody. It's just something you know we're talking about ear prone safety and things, and it's just one of those things that you know the sport is for everybody to enjoy until you know as long as they want to be in the sport so i don't want somebody to lose an eye or lose their hearing because of because of uh not having proper you know protection on yeah you bet you bet and in wearing something that i am pretty anal about those i do try and keep something on my eyes anytime i'm just at a stage where somebody is shooting yeah. Like I am I'm probably as concerned if not more concerned about catching something off somebody else's rifle like you know somebody that hasn't cleaned their brake in four barrels. Yep. And you know you get that carbon flakes blowing off the end of the brake or something like that. Yep. yep. Or you go to I don't I don't know if you've been to a match like this but I've been to a match where they shoot off hay bales. And I would be ROing or yep. doing video work or whatever. And every time they took that shot, you know, hay from the muzzle blast or from the brake would shoot out, you know, from it would be disturbed from the air concussion. And yeah, you know, a piece of hay in your eyes definitely not a good day. No, you know, no, or any there's... any debris. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's important, you know, just for for you guys out there you know, that don't wear glasses, um, you know, because of the quality of the glasses, you're going to spend three, four, five, six, ten thousand $10,000 on gear for your, to make yourself a better shooter. Well, think about spending money on your eyes and your ear protection to keep you going for longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, and you know, it's funny, that really makes sense too. And, you know, if you think about it, you're, you're, risking your eye to get a clearer vision through your scope but you know if you if you do have that unfortunate accident how well are you going to be able to see through that scope right you know you know uh, and then so and then next thing you know you're selling all of that fancy gear to pay for your medical bills <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so wear glasses wear good ear protection and stay safe <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and if you're going to a match and and you know that there's going to be crazy weather or potential for crazy weather, bring the right clothing. I mean, whether doesn't matter where it's at. The, the, I mean, if you don't have the right gear, your your match is going to be that much harder for you. And uh, it's it's uh, you know it, it could be t tough. I've been to a couple of matches where people weren't prepared and they were very close to hypothermia and other matches, you know, on the opposite end where people got heat stroke. So you have to be prepared yeah. for what you're getting into. Yeah. I shot the, um, uh, battle of breakneck in 2016. Uh, it's the Prairie rock shootout. Now it's an yep. NRL match now, but yep. that was a pretty bad one. That one was, you know, the the day started off it was 39 degrees and raining and you know just slowly worked its way down to about 29 degrees in sleet and i think we shot 12 or 14 stages because you know we knew we were going to get just a ton of snow overnight so they they had to shoot some extra stages so right. we had 
had a better score separation. And I remember at the beginning of the day, I think it was Tate Moots. He had uh, he had Arcteryx rain gear on, and we were kind of commenting like, "Yeah, it's nice stuff, but man, you got fourteen hundred dollars worth of rain gear there, <laughs> right?" And by the end of the day, I would have given him thirty five hundred dollars for that rain gear because <laughs> he was the only one that was dry. So, yep. yeah, it, anything that you can that you can invest in to make sure that. Uh, make sure that you're going to have a good match. I I think is definitely worth it because otherwise you're kind of throwing away money. You know, two hundred two hundred and fifty dollars to get into the thing, and you probably have another two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars in food and travel by the time it's all said and done. Right. You know, you might as well invest in the other stuff that's not going to, you know, result in you having a bad match and a really low score. And now you got to go go try and shoot an extra match to make up for that one just because you didn't didn't invest in the right gear. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, it's it doesn't have to be the best gear, but you know, buy once cry once. You know, I, I see yeah. people out there with frog togs, which is a great brand. It's inexpensive and it'll keep you dry. And then you see the guys out there with Sitka and North Face or Patagonia. And yeah, they spent a lot more money but I guarantee you they're a lot more comfortable than you are right now. Yeah. And I mean, like, like at your match, uh, Brittany was able to go to that match with me last year and she hates spending money on things that, that she's not going to use all the time. Like and snow gear, we don't use all the time in California. You know, we'll use it (laughs) a weekend a year if, if that, right. Um, Yep. But I forced her, I said, no, we're going out. And I, I, I bought her a North face jacket that was like a double, like it turns into like two different jackets because you could take the the inner liner out or whatever. Yep. Um, and we got there, and she was so grateful that she had that jacket, and you know she put her hoodie on, and then she still had hand warmers stuffed in her left and right face, cheeks, staying warm. And I mean, <laughs> if, if she went out there with just her regular California quote unquote snow jacket, she would have been frozen, and she would have been miserable the whole time. Yeah. Well, you you guys looked the part very well. I mean, you you came you showed up outfitted like you like you spend every weekend in the snow. So, good for you guys. You bought good stuff. Yeah. Buy once, cry once, and I was scared of being frozen. I kid you not. I yeah. was like I was like, "Babe, if we get there and I have to go buy more clothes, we're going to go buy more clothes because the heat I can handle pretty well. The the cold like that? No way." I'm yeah. a, I'm, I'm see, a wuss. <clears throat> see, I'm the other way. It's like I, I can only take so many clothes off in the middle of July before it gets inappropriate, you know, and I'm still not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> in the wintertime, I can I can layer up enough to be comfortable and, you know, nobody's calling the cop. <laughs> right. Has, Chaz took his pants off again. There's a naked guy running <laughs> around the range. <laughs> <laughs> Sweaty, fat, white guy. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, the, the moral of the story is be prepared for, you know, whatever match you're going to or whatever situation you're going to find yourself in and buy good quality gear. Um, this sports, yeah, it's it's a rifle competition, but the rifle's not the only gear that people need to invest in. Right. We're going to wrap it up just because I, I like to keep the show to an hour, but we're going to have to pick this up at a, another time as well. Is there... 
it, I mean, there's so many things I wanted to talk to you about, and I didn't even get a chance, man. Uh, I so know I, it. We we didn't get through any of it. <laughs> well, uh, real quick, could could we just uh, do like five minutes on on the on the match? Yeah, coming we, up? we have to do that. I was going to say we have to wrap up and, and talk about the match. Let's let's tell people uh, what's going on, what you have planned, and, and let, let's get that done for sure because that was the primary reason. Okay, so like I said, it's going to be primarily a field match, um, natural positions, rocks, trees, fences, things like that. Um, a little bit of prone, a little bit of movement, a little bit of hiking. Targets will be pretty much the, you know, typical of my matches about the, you know, as far as the, the size and difficulty right. of those. Um, Which is very fair. Yeah, and, and I keep... I keep really good track of of the well. I, I keep all the stats from the prior year, so I can I go through and I can see where I use too big of a target or where I use too small of a target. And I'm going to you know keep making adjustments. There was a couple stages last year where I had what I felt were too big of a target on one stage and too small of a target on the other stage. So I'm going to do my best to try and balance it out. Um, one of the complaints that I did get last year was that we had uh, had a string of like three troop lines right in a row, right. and so it was kind of unbalanced. If you got to shoot those things first thing in the morning, you had a pretty good advantage. So um, taking that constructive criticism and on and doing my best to make that better. Um, the one thing that I did really want to talk about, though, is the side matches that we're going to be doing on the side-in day. Yes, so, I, I heard about those. We were talking, we weren't talking about, but I heard about that on another podcast that you're on. So I'm excited about that. Let's uh, let's inform everyone. Yep. So um, off the bat, or I guess to start with, I, I'm not sure if you guys have anything ironed out with MDT yet for this year, but if MDT still sponsors the side match, that'll obviously be going on in day one. Um, then Bighorn, or sorry, Zermont Arms <laughs> is donating a... Yeah, oh man, I'm... I, I know you probably don't edit this podcast, but oh, if we can get worry, that out you. of there, then no, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, they'll be they'll be fine. Um, Zermatt's going to put a Rimex on the prize table, and we're going to do a side match on Friday with with one of the the new Zermatt Arms Rimex 22s, yeah. and whoever whoever has the top score on that particular side match will win that Rimex 22. Now I am doing. Kind, I'm kind of using the side matches as a fundraiser for um, for a couple different charities. One would be the the Plattsmouth Wrestling Club. Uh, we've got some some kind of young guys that that stepped up to coach, and and I want to be able to maybe compensate them for their time. So I'm going to donate some money to the local wrestling club for that. Awesome. Um, that'll be a so that'll be a ten dollar side match, and you get to do it once. Then we're having another three-gun side match where we'll provide the guns for that. We'll have a Sayaga 12-gauge shotgun, probably a Glock 34 or a 17 that's decked out by DC Precision, and uh, an AR-15 that he's decked out as well. So um, a three-gun side match. Whoever has the top score at the end of that 
will win the Saiga 12 shotgun that DC Precision put together. And I want to say I posted a picture of that on the Bighorn Steel Classic Facebook page that we have out there. So if you haven't found that, go find that, like, and follow that. And that'll be unlimited tries. So if you want to show up with $100 and take 10 tries to try and get your best time, you're more than welcome to. That'll be open to... ROs, shooters, spectators, you know, whoever whoever shows up, we're going to let them, let them run through that, and whoever has the fastest time will win that Sayaga shotgun. Nice. And then we also have Alpha Omega Rifle and Tool. They're going to be putting together two rifles for the prize table again this year. One we're going to raffle off to an RO. The other one will be sitting on the prize table. And there's a couple other gunsmiths that I have pretty decent relationships with, and uh, one of them being Isaiah Curtis, he was he was wanting to do something as well. I just haven't had the time to work out the details with him yet. That that guy is so awesome. Um, uh, I'll give everybody a uh, a sneak peek, I guess. Um, Isaiah is such an amazing dude. He contacted me at the championship at, uh, this year in Texas. Uh, while we were there and he's putting together another rifle for the NRL loaner program he just came up to me and said hey I'm going to build this for you and I, I was just blown yeah. away he's such an awesome <clears throat> he, and, and he is and he's always always a well every match that I've been to he's been a top 5 competitor it yeah. seems like and I don't know if I've ever seen him actually take anything off the prize table so I thought about just giving him a you know writing him down as a sponsor sponsor for the match because I know whatever he wins he's going to donate back to a yep. to a, a young gun or a new shooter or something like that you know he kind of kind of shows up wins a prize and then and then donates the prize back so yeah it's it, yeah. it's awesome i've never seen him walk the table he always gives his his walk to somebody that's he's awesome he's he's a fantastic guy man uh, i uh I, I I wish that I were were half the half the man he is. That's for sure. Uh, just just solid human being. Yes. And then um, Ryan Hunt as well uh, with Hunt's Long Range Supply. He bought lunch for us last year. Or donated the lunch for us. And uh, I know last year he was wanting to do a rifle for the table as well. So I'm not a hundred percent sure if those what what will work out with those two guys, but. Or sorry, with Isaiah and with with uh, Ryan Hunt with Hunt's range, but um, yeah, should be should be a fairly decent prize table, I would imagine. It sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds <clears throat> stacked already. Yeah. So um, so it should be fun. Please show up. Uh, we're actually doing away with the safety brief on Friday, like we have in years past. We're going to move that to Saturday morning, just so that people have plenty of time to show up on Friday get their get their rifle squared away and uh be able to participate in the side matches so awesome yeah should be should be a pretty fun day on friday i I would think awesome and then um i was gonna also let you know uh everybody kind of knows by now our, our the nrl trailer was broken into but the nrl trailer will be at your match and we have gone out and already purchased another shot marker so We'll have the sharp marker before the first match of the season, which is rifles only, which means it'll also be available to you if you guys want to incorporate that into a side match or the course of fire or whatever you want to do. Uh, but I did order another one 
Uh, thanks to all the support from the community and the donations, we were able to get that back so that we can incorporate that into the matches for everybody if the match director wants to. Oh, cool. No, no that's that, that's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be there like last year with and... coffee if it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> right? So. Yeah, hoping hoping for weather back to normal this year. Yes. Is what I'm hoping. So, it, usually it's you know uh, that time of year, maybe high 30s, low 40s in the morning to you know mid to high 50s in the afternoon kind of thing. So pretty good, you know, coat and sweatshirt weather in the morning, and then just sweatshirt and pants in the afternoon. Yeah, usually pretty. Uh, just uh, pretty solid. Before you pack and fly out or drive out, just check the weather and pack accordingly um it is it is easily i I, th- I think one of my favorite matches of the year and if there's a way that i can participate and compete this year i want to uh just depends on how my schedule goes that's how much i like this match that i i'm waiting for my schedule to free up so i can compete in it so. yeah yeah and some something else that we're doing this year as well um we restricted the paid registration slots to 80. Yes. Um, so last year we had it opened up to 100. And with sponsor slots, I think we ended up with around 120 shooters, yep. which was which was okay. And we, we can handle it. But I, I really want to be conscious, really want to be conscientious of the competitor's time. Um, I really enjoy those matches where the match directors get us on the road by two thirty, three o'clock on on Sunday, so that you know if you're within eight hours, you can still make it home in decent enough time to right. to go to bed, make it to work the next day. So, so we we're only opening it to eighty paid spots, and we'll fill up the remaining twenty with sponsor slots, and hopefully we can. Uh, get everybody on the road no later than three o'clock on Sunday would be my, be my preference. But you know, that comes at a cost too, because you know, you think $260 per shooter times, times 20 shooters. That's a lot of money. That's uh, yeah. It's, it's giving up a fair, fair amount of revenue, but you know, in, in my, in my mind, I want to give, I want to give some, I want to give the shooter something really good for their investment there. So, and, and um, you know what? I, I commend you on that. You know, the trend nowadays is pack as many shooters in, into a match as possible and we'll run through as fast as we can. Um, and I get that mentality, uh, but I really appreciate what you just said a hell of a lot more. Uh, to me, you know, the the NRL, our, you know, our mantra is better quality versus quantity. Uh, and what you're saying mm-hmm. right now is exactly what's in line with, with how we envision the sport. You know, people ask us all the time, how come, like it, like this year, no joke, we have 21 matches on the schedule. We could have easily added another 10 matches to the schedule. We had that many people apply easily. That yeah. were good quality matches. And we sat down and we looked at it and we said, no, there's, there's no reason. We have good quality matches that you know, the way it's designed, all of our matches should fill up and everybody will have a great time. And that's what it's about. Yeah. Everybody having a great time. 
No, and 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 I appreciate that too. Um, and you know, I, 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 I see that that's the that's the way the leadership of the NRL that that you guys that you guys push this push this league, and you know, you're setting a good example for the rest of us, and it makes it a lot easier to follow suit and you know concentrate on quality over quantity for sure. So. You know that that starts at the top. I wish I could, wish I could take credit for, <laughs> for coming up with some great, you know, uh, fresh blue sea uh, new idea. But you know, a lot of it's just kind of following your guys's lead on making sure that, you know, you everything that you do, you, you make sure that you're doing a quality job of it. And I appreciate that. I mean, you guys, you guys do a ton of work, and. Um, just the support that you give the match directors is fantastic. And, you know, everybody kind of struggles with that. You know, if you're good at stuff, it's really hard to not take on more than you can handle because everybody always asks you to, to do this or do that or take on a little bit more. And, you know, what I notice with myself is the, the more things I get involved with, the more mediocre I become at everything. So if I can kind of pare it down and just be good at, good at a few things and that's what I want to want to do and you know but I, I feel like that's how you guys run the NRL as well and and I appreciate it well thank you we we appreciate the acknowledgement and, and the whole nine yards but we're, we're a team baby we we, we, we could never yeah. be where we are today without each other so you know it's it's good leadership all the way around we're just we're just sailing the ship until you know until somebody comes in and uh and helps out with more you know we're just going to do the best that we can do and and rock and roll and and have a good time and every time i've been out to your match i've always always had a good time and that's that to me is the most important part awesome awesome well i appreciate that so I have to sneak in here. I know we're over time, but hey, you know what? It's our show, so whatever. We break the rules every once in a while, right? Yep. <laughs> um, I ask everybody, so I got to ask you, your three things that you have to have or do uh, before or at a match, and it cannot be gear-related. can't be gear-related. Yep. Yeah. So... Clay Blackett So, like, the rifle, obviously. Would, yeah. Um, what, could it just be, like, my pre-match process? Yeah. Yeah. You, okay. That's a superstition. If you don't do that process, maybe you think you're going to do bad, so you always have to do that process. So that's a superstition. Sure, that works. Yep. All right. So one of the things that I have to do is I have to shoot my rifle and confirm that I have a good 100-yard zero in a um, – I guess a low mirage situation or low sun intensity situation. So I'll go down to my range and somewhere between you know, 7.45 and 9 o'clock in the morning, I want to confirm my zero. Okay. So, so that's, that's step number one. Two, I run 10 rounds over my magneto speed, make sure that nothing's changed. And that's probably not a necessary thing, but just I'm kind of a head case if I don't <laughs> – if I don't do this in my head, I'm going to be questioning every single miss all day long. You know, I need, yep. I need to know that it's me and most likely it's me just about all the time. It is me. It's rarely <laughs> the right, but, right? but I, I just seem to have to prove that to myself every match. So 
do that, and then I also need to engage one target at you know somewhere between 500 and 700 yards, and and see a see a center hit as far as elevation is concerned. And this kind of comes from a, you know my first few years in this sport. I'd get a good zero at home, show up on the match or you know at the site in Friday afternoon sometime. Oh my zero's way off. Adjust the zero and then. And then next day I'm shooting over under targets or something like that. So I just decided that I'm not going to adjust the zero on my rifle after nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and right. uh, things always line up when I do that. So that's kind of my deal. If I don't get a chance to do that, no matter how solid my stuff is, even if my zero is fine to begin with, you know, like w- would just be fine. Wouldn't have to make an adjustment that Friday morning. I'm just not going to shoot very good because I don't have the confidence, and it's right. it's weird. I'm a head I'm a head case like that. No, but it, it, I mean it's good. Confidence is eighty five percent of this sport. Yeah, you know, maybe not eighty five, maybe ninety for some people, maybe a little bit less. But if you don't have confidence in what you're doing and what your rifle is doing and your data, you're going to have a tough time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny. When I didn't know a whole lot about this sport and just kind of these little nuances, I I shot really, really well, and I performed all right, and it seemed like the more I learned, the, the more my performance would drop, and it was just because of all of that junk getting in my head, you know? Hey, sometimes so. ignorance is bliss. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my very first uh, PRS match I shot, I, I ended up like 12th out of 150 shooters. And, you know, then That's I probably huge. went, I know, I probably went like another two, two and a half years without making it into the top 20 in another match. <laughs> oh, man. You know, and it was just because I just popped out and it was like, you know, I, I didn't really know what I didn't know, you know. It, right. Compared to all of my friends and people I know around here, you know, I'm I'm the guy that I'm the guy that can shoot. Well, you get to a match. Well, everybody everybody at that match is that guy in their circle of friends. Right. But I just didn't didn't real quite realize that. So I had a lot of confidence and hit what I aimed at, and then I started learning stuff and <laughs> started missing and oh, yeah, that's it's funny. funny. That that that's yeah. funny, but yeah, it's um. Sometimes too much is not good, and sometimes, you know, just depending on who you are, you need all of that. You know, I'm one of those competitors that, uh, you know, I just go out. I, I, I'm I never going to be a top 20 competitor. That's not my, my role in life. My role in life is to provide a platform for everybody to have fun. Um, yeah. So whenever I go out there, that's just my attitude is let's just go out there and have fun, and if it lines up and it works, great. And if it doesn't, we'll make tweaks and figure it out. But at the end of the day, I'm out here hanging out with, you know, 80 to 100 of my good friends and having a great time versus cleaning, you know, cleaning out the garage that day. You know what I mean? Right. So, yep. All right, brother. We are we are over time. I know it's pretty late over there it's probably what 10 o'clock almost 11 uh, almost 11 o'clock over there now huh uh 947 oh, okay almost 10 o'clock. Yep. okay a couple hours in all right so 
Yeah, it's getting uh, getting a little bit late. I have to go grab dinner. Brittany's been waiting patiently for us to finish our conversation. Um, no problem. I really appreciate it. I mean, again, there we're, we're going to do this again this year for sure because I still want to talk to you about NRL 22, uh, Zermatt, their new 22, their you know everything that they're doing, um, you know your border war matches that you're doing. Uh, there's so much that we still need to talk about, but uh, we'll we'll plan that for sometime in the in the very near future. All right, absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, I uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on, and you know, tell Brittany I apologize for keeping her waiting, and <laughs> love you guys, and look forward to seeing you in March. Love you too, bro. I, I look forward to seeing you as well. I really appreciate everything that you do for the sport. Uh, for everybody who's tuned in today, I apologize that it was a little bit longer, but it was all great content. And when it's great, you just keep flowing with it. And this is what happens. I hope you guys enjoyed the show as well. But until next time, you guys be safe, keep shooting, and we'll see you all at the range. Take care. <laughs>